we had some uh, uh, friends that came from the northern lands into our home recently. And they had come over for dinner. And during the dinner, we were um, having conversation, and I referenced Duck Dynasty, which obviously has been referenced already this morning in church by Pastor David. But uh, I was shocked that these northerners had never watched the show. So while they came for dinner, and this is hardly what you do at dinner, I said, come on, we're going into the family room. We're going to watch some Duck Dynasty. This you just can't not watch at least an episode or two. Hello, Dale. Dale doesn't like Duck Dynasty. just doesn't get it. That's okay. Grow a beard. You'll feel better. And, and uh, 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 so we go into the room. Well, we've got a little DVD that's kind of set, that's kind of the best of. So we started cranking it in. But the problem is, is if you just do the best of, even though I'm sitting there laughing hilariously, you, you've got the difficulty of someone who doesn't know the show and the characters. And so you find yourself pausing, saying, okay, well, let me tell you about Uncle Cy, you know. Or, you know, because Uncle Cy may be walking through the field, you know, because they're hunting something, and he's bam, 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 bam. Do you see anything? No. <laughs> Why are you just shooting, you know? And you say, so you got to pause and explain Uncle Cy, and you got to do all this kind of stuff. And, and I was thinking that this week, knowing, I guess, in part that the announcement was going to be made about uh, Duck Dynasty coming here in March. Um, but I was thinking about it this week because I thought, you know, that is a common problem that we have. The problem of Duck Dynasty is the problem really of context. Context matters. And if you take something out of its immediate context, you lose some of the power of understanding. You can take the exact same slice of pizza that you may want to eat, and if you put it in a different context, it changes your mind. (laughs) Oh, it's the same slice of pizza, but it changes your mind. Now, I am one of the biggest fans of very careful, close, biblical exegesis. There, My heart for this class that I've been teaching now for 10 plus years, I think. My heart is one day someone's going to say, hey, instead of doing, you know, we did church history for a couple of years. We did Paul's life. We did Paul's theology. We did Old Testament. We did New Testament. We did it on a literacy level. Now we're doing it on a much digger, uh, deeper dig-in survey level. My dream is for someone to say, hey, would you just take however long it takes and go through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, verb by verb, or go through the book of whatever, because I love to just get in there and, and, and there's, there's incredible worlds that open up within one Greek word. And I'd love to do that. But you lose something when you do that if it's not done within the context that it belongs. So for example, we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians. Now, we can take 1 Corinthians as a whole and consider it. That's what we will do today. 
And then we'll leave for another day the problems that happen if you take the scissors out and you just start carving it up and saying, okay, well, today I'm going to deal with this section. Well, today I'm going to deal with that section. You don't, you don't get the coherent whole. So my goal in the next 30 plus minutes, and we'll end a little bit early today because we want to commission those of you who are headed out from our class to the North Campus. So we want to do that at the end of class. So I'll end a little early for us to be able to do that. But but in the time I've got, I want to go through all 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. And while I think I might be able to do that from here, I might mess something up. So it's rare for me, but I brought notes. I'm here to cheat. The humorous part is I brought my notes and I forgot my Bible. So, so I have Steve's Bible, and between his Bible and my notes, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians. Now, with just a smidgen of context, a couple of things I want you to know. Remember, Corinth is on the Isthmus of Greece. Ephesus is a coastal town at the time. It's no longer coastal because of silting. But at the time, was a coastal town off of Turkey. The distance between the two was a two-day sail. Now that's, of course, assuming the ships are sailing, and there's only a certain time of year that they did. If you had to go overland, it was a long journey. But sailing, two days. Now, Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus. He's writing the letter to the church he started somewhere around two and a half years or so Earlier, We don't know for certain because we know it's a probably two and a half before Paul gets to Ephesus. But did Paul write it uh, two years, let's say, before Paul gets to Ephesus? Some time has already passed, but we don't know how long. Paul's in Ephesus for almost three years. So somewhere between two and a half to five years figure. Paul writes this letter. And we know this in part because we can go, for example, to 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9. Boom, boom, boom. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9. Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass. In other words, by foot. He's going to walk there. He wants to go to Philippi. That's in Macedonia, the Philippian church. Wants to come back through Thessaloniki. Thessalonian church. Perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter. The winter is when you cannot sail. The Mediterranean. So that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just now just in passing. I don't want to just make a quick trip over there. I don't want to just come sail to sort through some issues. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work is open to me. And there are many adversaries. So Paul's going to stay in Ephesus. He's writing from Ephesus. Now, that's point one to put this into context. Let's return. Beyond that, I want you to also know that the Corinthian church was having major problems. Paul's not writing this just because Paul is bored, had a little extra paper, and owed him a letter. This is not one out of joy, like you might read more so uh, the Philippian letter. This is one where Paul has a burning need to address matters with them. In fact, 
1 Corinthians is not the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There has been an exchange of letters back and forth. So to some extent, we're walking in in the middle of a conversation. We know this, again, we can look at it from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, we read where Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So Paul's already written to them. They've already written back. In fact, you'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then you see this. Thank you, Steve, for letting me write in your Bible. See that? It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. You see that? What are those? Quotation marks. Paul's not saying that. They said that to Paul. They wrote that to Paul. And if we don't understand that they've written to Paul, we're going to misunderstand a lot of this letter because Paul is writing them to correct some of their misunderstandings. Paul often, well, here Paul says, now concerning the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man uh, not to have sexual relations with a woman. Then Paul answers, but... And he starts his response. There are other places where Paul doesn't say concerning the things you wrote. But yet it's very clear that Paul's still quoting their letter to him. Now the Greek language doesn't have quotation marks. So it takes a scholar's deduction to figure it out. But it's not hard. Look for example at uh, chapter 6 verse 12. And you can see where the scholars think that it's from the Corinthians letter to Paul because of those magical little quotation marks. They wrote to Paul, all things are lawful for me. And then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. They say all things are lawful for me. But Paul says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. They said... Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul says, and God will destroy both one and the other. So when you, when we're reading the letter, and as we go through the letter and you hear me basically give you the, the synopsis of the letter, we do it recognizing that the letters have gone back and forth already. We're in the middle of a conversation. So much of Corinthians gets taken out of context when we fail to remember and realize that. You with me? All right. So with that, here's 1 Corinthians in 30 minutes. The letter begins. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he, and he addresses it as Paul, an apostle. He's got Zosthenes as a co-author with him. But that may just mean Zosthenes is doing the actual writing as a secretary. Or it may just mean Zosthenes is going to carry the letter to the Corinthians. 
But it's Paul and Zosthenes. And Paul writes as his authority. And he's writing to the Corinthian church. And I want you to note, and this will be the first point for home too. But I want you to note from the outset, he calls them saints. Because i got to be candid with you. They were a mess. I mean, they got, they got sex issues. They got food issues. They got idolatry issues. They got lawsuit issues. They've got jealousy issues, fractionalizing, divisions. They've got the, the bad theology. They've got a charismatic problem. They got women's issues. They got more problems than any church I've ever been a part of. Saints. And he starts it out to the saints. Because they may have all those problems, but but our God's in the problem-solving business. And they belong to him. And so they're saints. So he begins the letter and he says, you know, you've got a problem here. The problem is your common fellowship. And if we go back to the Elmo, ah, I'm going to do this in 30 minutes and I've already blown two of them. Okay, there's a Greek word that's translated church. This is not in your notes. I didn't plan on this, but we got to put it in there. Church, ecclesia, those called out. But Paul will also use a word called fellowship. And in the Greek, the word fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. Nia. Whoops, that ends with an A. Sorry. Koinonia. Koinonia in the Greek means a commonness. It's something we share. And the problem is he addresses them as a fellowship, but the commonness is being torn apart because they're dividing up. They weren't dividing in the sense of our north campus going as an extension of where we are and as unity. Theirs was, I'm not going to that house church, I'm going to this one because I don't like them. They follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He's a lot more smooth. Paul's got that ego thing going. Power trip. And doesn't Apollos strike you as more theological? Shouldn't we really be all following Apollos? And Paul says, this is absolutely wrong. This is shameful. This is silly. Because what it's all about is it's all about whether you're going to follow Christ. You see, this idea of Jesus dying, in the idea of the world's wisdom, it's just a silly little part of the faith. The Greeks will see the death of Christ and say, well, you know, silly little thing. To the Hebrews, he says, it's in the Greek, scandalon. It means the trigger of a trap. You know, it's the stick that, that the bird hit or the rabbit hits that causes the trap to fall down. And he says, but that's the way it is. It's this thing that, 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 that is silly in the eyes of the world is actually the wisdom of God. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And God has chosen what seems silly to the world to redeem 
the world. And it's a profound thing. And Jesus is the wisdom of God. And what that means, by the way, is none of us have any reason to boast. Because we're saved by something we thought was silly. Something we thought was scandalous. But it's God's wisdom. And Paul says, so, when I came to you, chapter 2, when I came to you, I didn't come as some smooth talker. I came to you with the power of the cross. Because that's what's got the power. I could have the silky language. I could have the, the, the thorough logic. I could have the stunning and stellar theology. But I want to tell you what I wanted. I wanted to come to you with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in that is a wisdom that exceeds any stellar theology. And any stellar theology that's not built on that is hollow theology. And any words of wisdom that don't have that as its focus are words of deluded wisdom. Because that is the core message. That's what it is. That's the deeper wisdom. And because of that also, when you put your faith in Jesus, you never put your faith in silky words. Don't ever become a believer because someone sounds so good. You become a believer, you entrust yourself to God because He loves you enough to die for you. And that's the way it goes. Now, Paul says, I'd like to tell you more. But i got to be honest. I'm not sure you're understanding all of this. You're not really ready for the meat. You know how I know? Because I look at the silly way you're growing. I look at where you are and what you're doing. These divisions between you are a classic example, he says, of how you're no more ready for something meaty then the man, don't start sitting there and say, hey, we're going to the theological class. You're not ready for that. You don't even understand what these classes are. Do you know who I am, Paul? I planted the seeds, he says. Apollos? Apollos, he watered the seeds. But it's God who gives the growth. And the plant's what matters. And without God... There's just a bunch of wet seeds. But with God, there's life. There's growth. There's thriving. It's like a building. You see, uh, uh, I laid the foundation, Paul said. And Apollos may come around and build up some of the walls. But who makes it a building? It's God. And He's made you that building church. He's made the church the temple of God. His Holy Spirit lives in the church. And so, you know, anything I'm doing, I want it to be for the built-up church. I want it to be something that, intested in the fires of eternity, doesn't burn up like wood, like dried-up grass or stubble. Hey, I want it to be a jewel. I want it to be something that lasts. Because I want it to be God's kingdom. 
And I want my work to be about God's business because that's all that's going to last for eternity. Everything else burns up. Wouldn't you like your energies in your life, the one life you get on this earth, wouldn't you like when it's over and you stand for eternity to be able to look back at that life and know God used you, you allowed God to use you to build something that lasts for eternity. Wow! He says, that's what I want. And that's what I'm living for. And some of you guys, he says, some of you guys may not like me. Some of you guys make fun of me when I'm not there. Some of you guys talk about how weak I am. Some of you guys talk about how I'm not too good to look at. Some of you guys talk about how I don't, I'm not as healthy as I should be. Some of you guys talk about how poor I am that I'm having to work in your midst. Says you got your terms all wrong. Let me first tell you, I don't live to please you. Quite candidly, Paul says, I don't give a rip what you think about me. I'm living to please the Lord. That's who I care about. And and, and I don't want to live by your terms anyway, because you're sitting there saying, we're rich. And you don't know what rich is. You, You think you're physically rich with possessions? That's worth nothing, except what you do with them. You think you're spiritually rich? I've already told you, you're a bunch of babies. I'll tell you, this is not where it is. This is the reason why I'm willing to endure almost anything for the glory of Jesus. And Oh, you can mock it, you can make fun of it, but but it's who I am. I want to show you what he says here in 1 Corinthians 4. 8 through 15, 4. Yeah, we're doing okay. 8 through 15, this is good. And you can tell he's referencing what they wrote to him. Someone had written him saying, hey, you know, we're all right. We've got all we need and everything. He says, already you have all you want? Already you've become rich? Without us, you've become kings? Oh, I wish you did reign so I might share the rule with you. This is why scholars will frequently point out that Paul had biting, uh, an ability to bite, I guess. I mean, he's speaking with bite. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you've got all you want. Oh, you reign like a king. Oh, I wish you really did. So I could just, have a fragment of your what you've got. And Paul says, I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death. Because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. I think that Paul knew they thought of him as some... How can Paul be blessed by God? How could Paul pray, pray, pray the prayer of Jabez... And be who he is. Look at this. Paul. He says, uh, we're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you are wise in Christ. They must have told Paul. We're wise in Christ. We don't need you. We got everything we need. You stay over there. We're doing fine. We're weak. But you are strong. You're held in honor. 
we're held in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger, we thirst. We're poorly dressed. We're beat up. We're homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When reviled, all we can do is bless. When persecuted, all we can do is keep going. When slandered, all we can do is ask for better treatment. We've become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. You write to me and you say, hey, we're spiritually, we've got everything we need. We are so on the ball. We are so this. Paul, you stay over there. Heavens, you got your hands full just trying to put food on your table. Paul says, their whole terminology is wrong. Their whole thought process is wrong. Christianity is not here to make your day go well. Christianity is here to conquer the powers of the demons in the world system and to usher in the kingdom of God. And a new age where his people live for eternity in blessed fellowship with him. It's in the book of Revelation at the end of Revelation where Jesus says, And the dwelling of God will be with men and he will dwell with them. And that's the promise. It started out with God making Adam and Eve in his hands and in fellowship. And through sin, this world... And all of its people became something utterly lost. But through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, the promise is that God will work through this corrupt world to bring to fruition His plans which have mankind living for eternity with God. And Paul says, yeah, I'm not trading that for a good meal. Frankly, right now, having a Full tummy is the least of my concerns. And if that's yours, that's fine. But it shouldn't be. And so you've got all this sin within you. It doesn't even bother you. Hey, what's a little sin? Yeah, we've got some people doing some pretty bad stuff. That's pretty bad. You know, we've got uh, 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 incest going on with one of the families here in the church. But we'll love them to Jesus. He says, don't you understand a little yeast will work and permeate through the whole thing? Would you please wake up and be serious about what you're doing? You know, in the Passover, the Jewish Passover, you spend time getting all of the leaven out of a house. That's part of the tradition. And Paul says, that's what we need to be doing with our lives. Treat the sin as leaven. And realize when sin has a toehold in you, it's never satisfied there. It has a voracious appetite. My mom used to tell our kids, her grandkids, when they'd want to go see something that's just garbage, she'd say, hey, do you really want to put feces in your brownies? I mean, you can eat wonderful, marvelous things that really satisfy your life. Why would you want to fill up on feces? Do you think you can eat it and it won't affect you? And when I was young, I didn't understand that. And I'll just be candid. And if you're young, you probably don't understand it either. My kids are not going to understand it until they get older. But it's true, Mom. You were right. And it does affect who you are. And it does affect how you behave. And if we're not at least saying that, then we're not doing justice to the next generation. Because they'll grow into it and they'll understand it. And maybe a few of them will be wise enough to hear it and to divert themselves earlier and purify their lives. Because that's what needs to be done. He says you need to live like you're in a kingdom. 
And that means if you've got a problem, if, 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 if Marcy's got a problem with John, Marcy doesn't need to go ask some secular judge to figure it out. Our kingdom matters get handled internally. If I've got a problem with Steve, I'm not going to sue Steve down at the courthouse. I'm a lawyer. I get free legal service by filing it under my own name. But I'm still not going to do it. And I'll tell you this. If you come to me and you say, hey, Mark, I have a problem with so-and-so in our class. They cheated me in a business deal. I need to sue them. Or so-and-so in our church. Or so-and-so in the Lord's body over there. I'm going to say go find another lawyer. Because that needs to be handled as Christians. Not in a secular court. We do not take our business to the world for the world to decide. We live in God's kingdom, Paul says. Take it seriously. And while you're taking stuff seriously, take your marriages seriously too. Your body is something important. And this is the chapter 7 where the Corinthians had wrote to Paul. And they said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And Paul says, sexual relations is one of the reasons you get married. Don't think you're high and holy if you're in a marriage and you decide, I'm going to dedicate myself to celibacy. That's what marriage is, 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 is that is a beauty within marriage. We should never be teaching our kids the idea that sex is something horrible, nasty, and dirty, and terrible. No. Sex is something that has its place as a blessing and gift of God. And Paul doesn't deny that. Paul says, just put it where it belongs. And that's what he's saying. So he says, if you're in a marriage and you're saying, well, but we need to be celibate for holiness reasons. He says, that's okay under three conditions. Number one. Both sides agree to it. So it's not being used as some holy leverage. Number two, it's for a short, or for a period of time. And number three, that time needs to be short. And then you come back together because the temptation is too strong. And that's what you need to do. You need to treat your marriage right. Now, some of you people aren't married. And you're saying, well, we shouldn't be married. We should be, uh, single. And there is an asset to being single. When you're married, you've got concerns you can't have otherwise. You can't go trollopsing with me all around the Mediterranean on a mission trip if you need to be home as a good spouse and a good parent. But if God's called you to be married, you be married and there's nothing unholy about it. That's righteous. That's what God's called you to be. This is not a comparison contest. Where some of you are better Christians than others because of these choices. The focus needs to be, what has God called us to do and how do we do it? Now, another issue. Well, Paul says, well, I'm on your issues. Next. Here's what you got. Some of you are swearing off meat altogether. Others of you are eating meat at the temples, the pagan temples. And others of you are buying your meat in the marketplace. Now, here's your general rule. Souls trump meat. Meat's good. He's not urging you to be a vegan or a vegetarian. But souls trump meat. Paul says, first of all, you don't go eating meat at the idol temple. Because that's idol worship. 
And and what happened then, you know, we eat meat uh, that comes from H-E-B or Kroger's or Randall's or something like that. But back then, the, you, you, they didn't just go out and, you know, always just butcher their own or go to the grocery store. They did have a meat market in the Agora in the marketplace. But more times than not, you would take your animal up to the temple. And the priests would kill your animal. You got sacrifice credits with the gods. The priest would take a share of the food in return for the service, and you get to go pick your meat up later. So it's a pretty good deal. You take the animal. You don't have to look at it. I went alligator hunting for the first time in my life yesterday. Bam! Bam, 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 bam! <laughs> Turns out I am a really bad shot. <laughs> it's kind of like... <laughs> Can you hurry up and reload? I'm trying. I'm trying. Bam, 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 bam. Bam, 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 bam. But what am I going to do afterwards? Hey, let's cut that skin off. I got to have boots in time for church tomorrow. Okay, So they would take the meat. And here's what Paul says. He says, number one, you don't go to those idols because he knows the hearts of men. And they may write and say, hey, we know there's no such thing as another God. So it's okay to go. It's okay to do it. We're spiritually mature enough to know this is nothing, blah, 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 blah. And Paul knows that some of them secretly in their hearts are saying, and just in case Paul's wrong, we don't want to tick off the other gods. And he says, in any way, you're offending other people. You're setting other people astray. Other people are thinking it's important to please the other gods as a security blanket. He says, now, you can go to the meat market and you can buy meat. But even there, if someone tells you, hey, this meat was sacrificed to Zeus, then you don't buy it because you're not giving any homage to anybody. That's giving homage to demons more than it is to nothing. And I'd rather not eat at all. He says, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, hey, Paul, you're going to go hungry. That's okay. You have the panisthmus games here in Corinth. You know what training an athlete goes through? You know how much an athlete will buffet their body and train and discipline themselves and the, the agony they will go through to be able to win a stinking crown of olive branches. Well, I want to be a spiritual athlete. I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to train myself to become the, the, the man for God's purpose and what God wants me to be or the woman for God's purpose. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And Paul says, now, you know, you say there are no other gods and it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols and all because you don't believe in the idol. He says, just remember something. You can say everything's lawful for me. You can say it's okay. But our God is not a God to be trifled with. He loves you. He died for you. But he's a holy God. He loved those Israelites and he called them out of Egypt. And when they started worshiping the idols, and when they started sexual immorality, he punished them. He disciplined them. I'm not going to let my children grow up in sin without me trying to intervene in their lives when they're young and help shape who they are. If I, as a fallen earthly father, 
will discipline my children. How will our Father in heaven not discipline us? So, don't trifle with God. You live the way you need to be living. You do the things you need to be doing. You know, he says, I'll become a Jew. I'll live under Jewish law if that's what it takes me to reach Jews. I'll live under Greek law if that's what it takes for me to live Greeks. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll endure whatever workout I need to endure to help save and bring people to Jesus. Because that's what I'm about. I want to live to God's glory. Now he says, next issue. Men and women and praying. Let's go back to the Elmo for a minute. And I'm going to tell you this is Mark Lanier's understanding of this passage. And I don't have many scholars who read it this way. I'm just telling you. But I think it's right. May not be the most popular. But I think if Paul were here, Paul would say, well, of course that's what I said. Read the words. Because here's what Paul says. The head of every man is, oops, I can do better than that. This is the head, H-E-A-D. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of woman is man. Men, when you pray, do not cover your head. When you go to God, you do not cover your head, Christ. No man goes to God on his own. Women, when you pray, cover your head. You don't go to Jesus through your husband. You go to Jesus straight. And it's just like, and then he uses the analogy, the way you dress. It would be shameful for men to have long hair and cover their heads. And it would be shameful for women to walk around in public without their heads covered. And that's the way it is when you're praying. And when you're teaching. Preaching. Prophesying. You, women, cover your head. And in that same passage, he says, the head of the woman is man. Men do not cover your head because we all go to God through Jesus. So, that's, that's, and, and as for, while we're on the subject, he says, let's talk about the Lord's Supper for a moment. It's not just another meal. This is not something where you get to sit in cliques and you get to fill up with food. And the Lord's Supper then was done as part of an agape feast or a love feast. And so it would be uh, uh, like the Passover itself, part of an extended meal. And Paul says, man, some of y'all are getting filled before anybody else even shows up. This is the Lord's Supper. And on the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. And breaking bread, he said, this is my body that's given for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. This is the blood of the covenant that's poured out for you. Take drink. And that's what you're called to do. 
Get your house in order. Get your church in order. Get your attitude in order. Realize that this is about something greater than you. And the same is true, by the way, you super spiritual people, when it comes to spiritual gifts. You want those spiritual gifts? I mean, they're, they're not yours to get. They're the spirits to give. And the spirit gives to each person as his spirit sees fit. And the Spirit's going to figure it out because it's God's temple, it's God's house, it's God's body being built. So the Spirit's going to give it for the spiritual, common, koinoneos fellowship. And that's what you need to be about. And by the way, if you really want a cool one, it's not the flashy, showy ones. The best spiritual gift of all is love. Love is the best spiritual gift that God could give you. And not just any love, not a, you know, the Greeks had multiple words for love, not an eros love of what I get out of it. Not even a phileo love of my buddy, my friend. Paul says, I'm talking about an agape love, an agape love, a love of, 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 of unconditional, decisional love. A love of genuinely caring about something that's, that's more than yourselves. This is a love that doesn't boast. This is a love that's patient. This is a love that's kind. This is a love that endures all things. This is a love that hopes for the best and looks for the best. You can take the greatest Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. But you know what the greatest one is? Love. Because you think about it, when the Lord returns and when His kingdom is made manifest, when, when this age is over, faith will be made sight. Faith will be gone. Hope will be fulfilled. Hope will be gone. But love will remain. And so I could speak in every tongue in the world, but if I don't have love in my heart, I'm just some background noise. Or worse yet, an aggravating noise, a clanging cymbal or a banging gong. I could speak incredible sermons, but if I don't have words of love and a heart of love and a conviction and a commitment to the good of the people, then I'm wasting your time and my time. So those are the loves. Now he says, hey, I'm willing for, and, and the translators say, Paul says, I wish everyone would speak in tongues. The word wish in Greek, fellow, means wish, but it also means willing and so that might just mean Paul saying, I'm willing for this to happen. Um, in, in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. The word will there is, is uh, uh, fellow. Um, so Paul says, look, you want the showy gifts, that's fine. Hey, I'm willing for all of you to speak in tongues. But if you're going to do it in church, it needs to be done orderly. And there needs to be an interpreter, someone who really knows it. Not someone who just sort of feels like that may be what's being said. Because you, I, Paul says, I'd rather speak ten words people understand than a thousand words they don't. Now, if you want to have a spiritual language at home, that's a whole different matter. He says, I'm talking about here at the church, in the service. It needs to be done orderly. So that people who come in don't think, man, y'all are goofy. Next. Jesus Christ, Paul says, we're in chapter 15, I'm moving fast, but I can't skip over this. 
Brethren, I would remind you in the terms in which I preach to you the good news. You want to know what the good news is? You want to know what the gospel is? The good news is not the prayer of Jabez. The good news is not that you will have God take care of your food today or your daily bread. The good news is Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's been seen by all the apostles, me, over 500 people saw him physically resurrected. And that's an absolute game changer. That's the good news. Because when Jesus is resurrected, he has conquered everything that sin could throw at him. He conquered it by not sinning, but he conquered the ultimate penalty of sin, death. And through Jesus, we do too. Why would God have physically resurrected Jesus if there weren't a physical resurrection for you and I to share in? There is. This is not all there is. It's not over when it's over. It's only just begun. And we have already stepped into that. And Paul says, I'm convicted of it. I, this is the whole reason I live this life I live. Otherwise, I'd be the first in line that lets eat, drink, and be merry. Because when it's over, it's done. But it's not. And that's a game changer. And then Paul concludes with some personal comments. He says, I want to come. Keep uh, doing your first day of the week collection for the saints. I'll collect it. We'll distribute it where the Lord needs it. I'm going to come visit you soon. Uh, uh, those of you who are making fun of me realize I can come with a smile or I can come with the power of God. I love you, Paul. Points for home. So the church with all those messes, they're sanctified. <laughs> they're called to be saints. And that gives me great hope. Because I'm sure Paul could write a really stinging letter to me about everything I messed up in, from theology to actions. But that's okay. God's a project God, and I just may be one of his bigger projects. But my conviction is to put myself on his project list. I want, I want to be who he wants me to be. I want to do what he wants me to do. And I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and God. Point two. Don't let no one deceive himself. That's in 3.8. Don't start thinking of ourselves as high and mighty and arrived. We should never walk out of this class saying, well, <laughs> now I've arrived. I understand 1 Corinthians. That's really bad sign we didn't understand it. But we do want to pursue love. Humility and love are major goals in my life. I haven't found either one. But by the grace of God, I'm looking and searching and praying and trying to find them. And trusting that he'll give them to me. Finally, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel in which you stand and by which you are saved. That's the game changer. And that's where I want to live. That's where I want to stand. Paul says you stand in the gospel. You flee immorality, he says earlier in the book. Our letter, but you stand in the gospel because that's where you're saved in the blood of Jesus, in the cross of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray a prayer of blessing over us as we continue to study your word. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts and change who we are and bring us into alignment in living in mission for you. Each moment, each day, purpose of our existence. Give us love in our hearts and humilities in our spirit as we walk in this world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.